Hi, everyone. I'm David Williams, president of strategy consulting firm Health Business Group and host of the Health Biz Podcast, a weekly show where I interview top healthcare leaders about their lives and careers. My guest today is Ashish Shah. He's co-founder and CEO of Dina, a health engagement company making it easier for people to stay healthy at home by organizing and simplifying access to an ecosystem of home and community-based providers. If you enjoy this episode, please press that like button and subscribe. Ashish, welcome to the Health Biz Podcast. Thanks, David. Appreciate you uh, having me on the show. Listen, Dina has a worthy goal, so I look forward to getting into that discussion pretty soon. Before doing that, I want to hear a little bit about how you got there, starting way back at the beginning, maybe with your, your background, your upbringing. What was your childhood like? Any influences from childhood that have stuck with you throughout your career? Yeah, well, I, you know, it's uh, this is probably going to be a little bit of a trip down memory lane. I haven't I don't normally think through a lot of these things, but, you know, I was, I was born and raised in Chicago. My, my family uh, came over to the U S um, in 1970. And so, uh, you know, my, my dad visited Chicago and uh, must've been the summer because he, uh, he really <laughs> fell in love with the city. That it's, it's one of the, the best in the world at that, at that time, but then it quickly became home. And uh, that was, you know, I was the first of my family born and raised in, uh, in the U S and Chicago in particular. So, a lot of my early influences, um, I would have to say, have to do with my my parents. I have an older brother and a younger sister. Both of them had a, a pretty profound impact on me and ultimately my journey, but just at a really high level, uh, a little bit about my background. Sounds good. You know, sometimes when I'm overseas and you talk to people, you mentioned Chicago and they, they have this very strong view of it from the gangster movies, which I have to <laughs> tell them that was a while ago. And you know, we don't ride around in cars like that anymore either or, or wear that type of hat, but uh, maybe your dad didn't see that, or maybe he saw something else that, uh, that yeah. him to head over there. Certainly a great spot. Yeah. Do you, do you have like a middle child syndrome? I'm a first child. So. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure I do, uh, <laughs> but I, I own it. I embrace it. I, uh, you know, it's the best of both worlds for me. You know, I have an older brother and a younger sister. And so I'm, I'm very close to both of them. Um, you know, there's a little bit of uh, a bigger age gap between the two of them. And I think that's probably, they're probably closer now that that we're all adults but um i actually think it's quite great to be in the middle uh i get a chance to kind of bring people together in the family very nice so what did you do in terms of your uh, education after high school yeah i uh i went to iowa state university and so i studied computer engineering you know really creating uh you know just great experiences and product is something that i've always been passionate about i thought my whole life i was going to be an architect and so i went into my freshman year really thinking that i was going to um really design incredible structures and experiences for people. But, you know, it was around that time where I started to tinker more and more with um, computers and technology. And Iowa State had at that time, one of a handful of uh, fully immersive virtual reality labs in the world, fully suspended, could project from all different directions. And that was probably the moment that I started to fall in love with the idea of being able to create through a new medium uh, in the virtual world and, and with tech. And at that point, um, dot com you know, craze was starting. And so I, I was fully drafted into that experience. Very nice. I saw you were at uh, Diamond Management and Technology Consultants for a while. What was that like? Uh, it was an incredible experience. You know, I, I joined the firm uh, in early 2001. 2001 was a, a very, as you as you can imagine, a very interesting year. There's a lot of a lot of things from the dot-com bubble bursting all the way through to September 11th, then the subsequent uh, recession that followed it. Um, but I, 
my experience at Diamond was uh, just world class. The people were top notch. The clients that we were serving were top tier. Uh, they invited us into their most strategic sort of problems um, and really trusted us to help them navigate some pretty uh, you know complex and uncertain times. Um, but the people, I keep coming back to, uh, you know, everyone from that era that I was exposed to either as a client um, or a team member, uh, I just learned such an incredible amount uh, in those uh, in those early years. And I, I continue to stay connected to many of those people, you know, 20 plus years later, um, just a, a wonderful way to launch a career. And how about Medicity? Yeah, my, my time at Medicity, um, you know, prior to Diamond, I, I had a number of uh, opportunities to work at places like Microsoft, Boeing, uh, a startup in the e-commerce space. And I guess that's where I, I really caught the bug in terms of commercial product development. And so my time with Diamond was was great. It really exposed me to, I would say, more of the business um, of tech more than anything. Um, but at towards the end of my run, I started to sort of have the itch to get back into product, if you will. And so um, my last client at Diamond was LabCorp, you know, one of the largest national reference labs in, in the country, quickly scaling globally. And they asked me to kick the tires on a small up and coming company that they were partnering with out of Salt Lake City, Utah. That was Medicity. And, uh, you know, when I first went out there to meet with um, the leadership team, you know, I fell in love with the team of about 20 or so that were really working at that time on a newer emerging problem of health information sharing between EMRs. There weren't a lot of people doing that. EMR adoption was about 5% in the country at that time. And uh, so I, I got a chance to get a seat on that on that ride. And it was an incredible journey. Uh, much like my experience at Diamond, just worked with uh, tremendously awesome people on a really important product and mission. And uh, we had quite a bit of success together. Nice. Now, I see there's a couple of things that I think you've done concurrently with Dina um, in advisory roles. And I don't know if you want to share anything about those the open markets. And I see the Quinlan School of Business for at Loyola University. Are those yeah. things that you're actively involved in? Yeah, thanks for asking about those. Um, so I'm, I'm an active advisor at Open Markets uh, Health. Um, really neat company that is building a connected marketplace, almost an Amazon-like experience that connects suppliers of healthcare equipment to providers of healthcare equipment to really streamline um, the access to those goods and services. And actually during COVID in particular, when there was such a shortage of ventilators, this became a very important company and uh, they were helping dynamically source equipment to help service people and really overrun hospitals at that time. So uh, really proud of my connection to that company. They're doing really interesting work and uh, hope you get a chance to interact with that team because they're, they're quite good. Uh, and then my work with, um, the Baumhart Center, in particular, part of Loyola's Quinlan School of Business, is another uh, just wonderful program. Um, they've launched a so social entrepreneurship uh, program within their College of Business. And this is, you know, we, we spend a lot of time in the market talking about DEI, but even before the big trend, if you will, uh, they were uh, really investing in that sort of thought leadership and really trying to cultivate purpose-driven leaders. And, and for me, and what really drives me, it was a really nice fit for me to spend some time with the university. And so uh, really nice to to work with that program and really to be inspired on a daily basis by the leaders that they're drafting into the program that are really going to change the world from this point forward. Well, great. 
So let's talk about Dina. And I would be interested, first of all, to understand, you know, what was the unmet need? You know, by this time, uh, you've been around for a while, seen a lot of things, knew what you were interested in. I saw some stuff in the market, but why, you know, why a need for a new company? Yeah, I... Um... I guess I'll go back to the Medicity story a little bit. You know, at the time that I joined um, that company, it was, you know, still young, but they had a good start. You know, the people up until that point had, had built a really nice uh, base of the business. And, you know, what we did there by the end was we uh, we had north of 12 to 1300 hospitals connected to every major reference laboratory and primary care practice sharing data electronically through our platform. In 2011, January 2011, that company was acquired by Aetna. And so I stayed for a few years, part of that journey. But six months after that, my dad suddenly passed away. It was uh, something that our family was not uh, prepared for in any way, shape or form. Um, and it, as we spent time with the people that were caring for him when he passed, uh, there were in-home caregivers. He was in and out of senior centers. They saw a decline coming, and yet that information wasn't really being shared. You know, David, I, I didn't know a whole lot about the home care space. Um, yeah. You know, I'd worked with many health plans and provider systems, but this was not an area that I was an expert in by any means, nor were any of my colleagues. And, you know, I think I guess what gnawed at me was the experience that there was adult family caregivers connected, smart, knowledgeable, that felt they could really influence the care that they were receiving. There were insights from these people who were around my dad in particular, and yet that information wasn't being shared in a meaningful way. I would say that was the starting point of the Dina story. Um, and that was quite early in my, my Aetna journey. After, you know, three years inside the company, I continued to see a lot of value-based care innovation, you know, whether it was managed Medicaid or Medicare Advantage, uh, Pioneer ACOs that were being formed. And none of them were really tapping into the potential of this personal insight that I had, where if you want to really reach and influence the care that someone receives, you need to get to where they are. And that's usually in their homes and in their communities. And so after a few years, I decided to ultimately step out and, and really focus on building a business that would help health plans and providers really connect to that home and community-based care to really solve a number of problems. So what was it like getting it uh, started? Obviously came from a personal inspiration in a way. It was something you, I guess, became expert on uh, before getting going. But you know, what were the early days like? The early days, you know, uh, were... Exciting, really exciting. And we continue to be excited, but it's it's different. And so in the first moments, it truly is a napkin, an idea. Maybe one other person. I do have a co-founder, David Cole, who I, I worked with for a very long time at Medici. He was a co-founder there. And so to be able to have a partner right out of the gate that we could collaborate around an idea, it was, it was exciting. I mean, it was very, very exciting. Um, we were iterating on the idea, the research, the Think, sharing what we were learning in the market. I wouldn't even say daily. It was multiple times a day that we were iterating yeah. on the concept. And so it was, uh, it was quite exciting in the beginning. You know, when you fully commit to it is when I think things started to change for me a little bit. The seriousness of not just being excited about the idea and the potential of what you could do. Uh, but there are moments where you come to grips with, all right, I'm working without a salary. I'm working without a client. We don't have anything built yet. Um, those yeah. are moments that really sort of test your commitment um, and your passion for, for what you're really pursuing. So uh, say a little bit about what you actually are offering and maybe how that's evolved. And, you know, who, who are the customers? Who are the users that are involved here? Yeah, so we're, we're typically um, 
working with care navigators or care coordinators, we started the business, David, working with health systems and typically around that transition from hospital back to home. You know, it's usually acute, episodic. Somebody has a knee replacement or maybe perhaps CHF and had, you know, had admission to the hospital. That journey back home uh, is complicated. You know, there are in-home uh, service providers. There's durable, quite a, uh, durable medical equipment that may need to be delivered. So building a digital network of all of your partners outside of the hospital was a key problem that we focused on solving in their early days. Where the business has evolved is in addition to that, we're now increasingly working with health plans directly. So government programs, think Medicare Advantage or Manage Medicaid. And what we're seeing is a, a huge explosion in the number of supplemental benefits or in-home services that are being offered. And many of these health plan coordinators and navigators uh, do not necessarily have any sort of mechanism to efficiently identify who can meet a member's needs. So who's the best fit provider, understanding whether they're available or not in a market like this post COVID staffing challenges are continue to really be a, a big pain point. And then once you can actually arrange for that particular care for that person, how is it going? And that's a question that ultimately is not really being answered uh, very well today in a real time manner. Now, somewhere along the way, the company changed its name and mm -hmm. uh, the name is Dina. So my question is, you know, why the name change and who's Dina? Yeah, who is Dina? I, uh, Dina in the early days, we had two products. One that was uh, the name of our our network and touch, uh, our digital network. And the second was the digital nursing assistant embedded inside of that network and coordination experience, Dina. And, uh, you know, over time, I would see people, they would ask me about the company. They would always goof up the name of our company at that time. Yeah. You know, prepared health. There are so many something healths out there and they would yeah. call it preferred or whatnot. But they would always ask me about Dina. They didn't know yeah. what Dina did. They didn't know what the yeah. product really was, but it, it was really memorable. And so right before COVID, we we decided to rebrand the business before we started to go into you know into more geographies. And you know, we had a four-letter word that we owned that was friendly, that was tied. Uh, you know, to our product story that customers found memorable. And so uh, we decided to really lean into it. And I just remember the moment we were so anxious the night before we launched and cut yeah. over. Would would people like it? Would they understand it? And it was instant, David. I mean, we were, nobody could remember the past. It was Dina from that moment forward. Yeah. Uh, nice. so. It's good when it works out like that. So yeah. Talk about the supplemental benefits. You said there's all these that are being offered. It's they're real hard to kind of to arrange and see if they're working. I mean, how do you even know what's the right kind of a supplemental benefit design, even at that level? Do those make sense in terms of meeting the, the needs of the patient? Just say a little bit more about that world. Yeah. Well, I, so there's a huge focus moving forward on addressing um, the social determinants of health and addressing some of the broader health equity challenges that we have in the market. And so I, I'll start by saying that at a policy level, uh, CMS has really recognized the importance of, in some cases, food, transport, in-home services, um, home modification services, things that are non-traditional, non-medical benefits that can really affect um, someone's overall healthcare experience, outcomes, but also have a pretty profound impact on the total cost of care for an individual as well. So what Medicare has done is through a through their 
uh, value-based insurance design program, VBID, allowed Medicare Advantage plans to submit bids or proposals to be able to experiment with these supplemental benefits, seek approval that would then form a partnership with Medicare where they could share data around the effectiveness of that particular benefit before it gets offered more broadly. And I think that's really smart. I mean, I think there's been some really great um, successes to date with people using these benefits in a new and creative manner. Um, if you look at in-home services in particular, uh, in 2020, there's a couple hundred plans that offered that as a, a supplemental benefit. Um, in 2023, there's north of 1,100. And so that's a 5X increase. The train has left the station. I think health plans have found that offering these supplemental benefits are not only good for members, but in a race to enroll as many Medicare beneficiaries into these MA plans, it's a true differentiator. You know, we're now north of 50% of Medicare beneficiaries enrolled in a Medicare Advantage plan. So the, the benefits are, they're great, but they're also something that the consumer market wants and they're voting with their pocketbooks, um, you know, just as it relates to the benefits in particular. Now, these Medicare Advantage plans are, a, you know, form of value-based care. That's how they're, they're set up. Is technology a helper to actually realize the promise of value-based care? And if so, how does that work? Um, certainly it is, but it, it, it is, a. Uh, you need great technology to support it. You know, so much of the value-based care um, innovations are around connected care, coordinated care, because these are the things that our healthcare system are not really well designed for. You know, when you're in front of a, uh, a physician or one of their care team members, you, you could have a, a wonderful experience, but sometimes the incentives aren't really aligned to continue that experience. And for multiple team members, five to 10 or 12 different team members across the continuum to work together. And I think that is something that technology is doing a wonderful job solving in many other industries. So of course, I think there's massive potential for that, just being a, a better foundation in healthcare. Um, so I, I think technology has a big role, but I think there's also new types of roles that are emerging, care navigators, coordinators. So it's also a, a talent um, conversation as well. Social workers are people who are actually trained to assess holistically what an individual and their family needs in their home and in their community. And so sort of raising their profile and getting them more prominently positioned. I think we're seeing many organizations focus in on that as well. And I think there's creativity in the business mechanics of healthcare too. The types of organizations that you need to bring into your health plan product. Who do you contract with? How do you get them paid? So technology is certainly very important, but so is the design of the type of talent um, and services that you bring into the products that are offered in the market. You talked before about, you know, an impact of the pandemic being a challenge on the staffing side. Have there been other, you know, significant game-changing impacts in the pandemic on the space that you're operating in? I would say the biggest one, David, is, uh, you know, before, before COVID in particular, um, people would nod their heads when we would describe what we're after to do, and they would call mm -hmm. it noble and they would understand it. And perhaps it was just limited to, seniors. Um, I think post-pandemic, I think there's a, a really broad acceptance and understanding that care is going to be delivered in three ways, in high quality physical settings, virtually online via telehealth, and it's going to be brought to you in, in your home. We don't have to convince people of that anymore. Um, this is how healthcare will work. And of course, there's some mixed modality across each one of those uh, different three delivery mechanisms. 
Um, so for us, things have really become clear for the market of who we are, why we exist and what our role is, which is really to, to create the platform that powers access to home-based care. We talked about technology before the pandemic. Now the, the thing that's on everybody's lips is artificial intelligence. And I'm wondering, does that affect what you do now and how do you see it, it rolling out over whatever time frame you want to pick? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's here to stay. There's no, there's no way to put that genie back in the bottle. I, I think I, if I look back to our founding story and, you know, even the, the namesake Dina, you know, it was a digital nursing assess, assistant embedded in the, the platform. And the reason why we did that is because there's such a huge shortage of healthcare workers, whether it's physicians or support staff or access to the talent. And so I think um, AI is going to have a profound impact on everything. Um, I think where it's going to have a a great deal of value right out of the gate is on many administrative pain points, you know, whether it's prior authorizations, claim adjudication, matching a member or a patient to the right level of services and care to really eliminate friction points. Um, There's a lot of uh, administrative burden that's placed on everyone across the entire care continuum, including patients and families. I think that's a, a wonderful place to start to really create a better experience, but also attack some of the wasted spend that we have uh, across the industry. It will eventually, of course, bleed into the the patient experience and other aspects of what we do down to the scientific level. But uh, I, I guess I'm zeroed in on the administrative side because there's yeah. not a lot of fans of of the experience there. No, not many. There may be a couple out there. I haven't, I haven't met them. Uh, if so, uh, it's impressive how. I mean, the administrivia is uh, is incredible, but it's also amazing how much is actually people manage to get done. So it's uh, mm-hmm. it's quite a burden. Look ahead, maybe ten years, and say, you know, put AI out of the picture for a minute, and just say, like, what's your vision in terms of going back, maybe all the way to your your founding story and the impetus for the for the company. How is life going to be different for somebody, let's say, that's hitting Medicare Advantage in 10 years compared to what it was like for somebody, say, five years ago? Um, I, I think it, let's start on the shorter term horizon for a moment. I think in the next few years, Medicare Advantage beneficiaries are going to choose plans based on the types of services they offer. I think they will increasingly become more standard versus supplemental where the plans compete on that. Regulation is already coming to hold health plans accountable on what is the access and utilization of these. So you can't just offer them to attract membership in, but are you actually using home modification services and in-home services and transport and healthy meals as examples? Um, So I think you're going to see a shift in the market from not just designing benefits to, but actually being more accountable and making sure that members can use them and then doing the math around the impact around retention, total cost of care outcomes. That's near term. You'll see that in the next three to five years, certainly. Um, I think in 10 years time, you're going to see health plan products, health systems really engage around kind of what what I outlined in terms of three delivery mechanisms. Individuals and families are going to be able to choose healthcare uh, access and delivery on their terms. And so it won't just be virtual only. It just won't be in-person only or in-home only you're going to be able to design your experience that meets your needs in a way that is frictionless and without a lot of waste uh, in that. So I think we're going to become much, much more um, consumer centric. I think we're going to become much more efficient 
And I think it's ultimately going to lead to a much better product experience. And we need to do this. Yeah. We have 10 to 11,000 people turning 65 years old a day. We need to do it for our seniors regardless, because that's a very fast growing space. Um, but as I mentioned, COVID sort of expanded the scope to beyond seniors. I think um, those who are vulnerable and those who are even healthy, they prefer healthcare on their terms as well. So I think there's a very large transformation that we're in, in the middle of right now. Ashish, the last question for you is whether you've had any time for reading, if you have any books that you would recommend or anything that you recommend that we avoid even. <laughs> I appreciate you asking about uh, books, uh, books that you would avoid. Um, none that I can sort of recommend to avoid right now. Two that I've read recently, they're, they're probably, um, I spent a lot of time reading business books, so they're not always the most exciting, I think. Yeah. Uh, but um, two that I read over 10 years ago that I find uh, quite helpful to revisit. One is called The Wide Lens by Rod, uh, Ron uh, Adner. Um, he's a professor at uh, Tuck School of Business in Dartmouth. And Wide Lens really talks about not just minimally viable products, but really minimally viable ecosystems. Mm-hmm. And I think in healthcare in particular, it's a, it's a really important book to think about. If you're going to drive positive change, you really have to think about the entire ecosystem, the incentives, and how do you actually bring the innovation to market. So it's good to revisit that recently, especially in, in light of the work that we're doing. And the second uh, just has a really tough title, but I think is good, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Okay. And uh, I think it's just a really good book for anyone uh, who's committed to building really healthy relationships. Even if I think about you know my relationships with my family, let alone my team. Uh, here at Dina, um, every relationship has a journey where things are wonderful, and there are times where perhaps you can be misaligned, and there you can start to see things like a lack of trust or artificial harmony, things that may get in the way of high performance. And so, I thought it was a it's a really well written book, leadership fable style. You can you can consume it pretty quickly, um, but what I found is there's some really great conversations that come out of it that really allow you to talk to your partners in life and in business in a way that allow you to think about objectively, how do you become your best? And so those are, those are two that come to mind. Well, Ashish Shah, co-founder and CEO of Dina. Thank you very much for joining me today on the health biz podcast. David, I really appreciate uh, you having me on the show. Thank you. You've been listening to the health biz podcast with me, David Williams, president of health business group. I conduct in-depth interviews with leaders in healthcare, business, and policy. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite service. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on your second and third favorite services as well. There's more good stuff to come, and you won't want to miss an episode. If your organization is seeking strategy consulting services in healthcare, check out our website, healthbusinessgroup.com.